October is Family History Month, and I am thrilled to partner with the Genealogy Center at the Allen County Public Library and visit Fort Wayne, Indiana, to bring you tips to help you discover your family's history. Today's episode is sponsored by Ancestry.com. Every family has a story, and Ancestry has the largest collection of online family history records to help discover yours. See what records you can find at FamilyRambling.com backslash family story. Hi everyone, welcome again to the Exploring the Midwest podcast. This month on the podcast, we are celebrating Family History Month. And so in partnership with Visit Fort Wayne and the Allen County Public Library in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I am so excited to be talking to you from the Genealogy Center in the Allen County Public Library. Now, today we're going to talk a little bit about the Genealogy Center. It's one of those I know, hidden, amazing places in the Midwest that most people don't know about. And my guest today is Kurt Witcher, who is the Director of Special Collections at the Allen County Public Library. Um, relatively specifically in the Genealogy Center. Am I right, Kurt? Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Terrific. Now, the Genealogy Center, as I've said, is located within this library, and it has one of the largest research collections in the country. Correct, correct. How large is this collection? Well, it's really the second largest collection in North America. Just behind the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. And I say just behind with a smile <laughs> on my face. Um, they have millions more records, but it's the largest collection in a public library. Uh, the Family History Library is a private library, but still open for free to the public. So we have about 1.2 million physical items in the collection. And that's um, you know, not the only part of the collection. We have a nice offering of licensed databases. Uh, we basically license every major genealogical database so that if you're here, you not only have access to 1.2 million physical items, you have access for free to all the major databases that you would find some in different libraries around, around the country. And then, if I might say, the, the third part of our trifecta, if you will, is a really engaged and knowledgeable staff. Between all of us, we have a couple of centuries of genealogical <laughs> research experience. And we really get geeked about helping people find their stories. I mean, that's why people do family history. They, they, they want to find their stories. And we have a lot of experience and a lot of expertise to help you use the collection. I like to tell people, Jody, that whether you know we have two items in our collection or 1.2 million items, it doesn't mean anything if people can't be successful in finding their stories. So we really want to match people up with the data that helps them find their stories. That's so incredible. Just the amount of information in this library, the racks and racks of books. And I love your bookshelves because to make space, they actually, they move, yes. which I think is incredible. Um, so there's so, so many, like you said, physical books and then the computerized access and the is it all, do you still have things on microfiche or are those on computer now or are you doing Great that? Great question. A lot of what we collected BC before computers <laughs> um, has migrated to, to digital. So the National Archives used to uh, have available literally hundreds of thousands of rolls of microfilm military records.
records, passenger lists, census records, all those are available online, much more easily accessible, easier to print, easier to read, just, just plain easier. But still, we have hundreds of thousands of items on microfiche, the little sheets, mm -hmm. or microfilm that haven't made it online because they're not important enough for the large information aggregators to invest in putting them online. So I like to think, with a wink, you know, we have the best of both worlds. We have the legacy medium, like mm -hmm. print and microfilm, and print will never go away. There are thousands of books every year being published in paper, not mm -hmm. online. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have, we have the best of both worlds. That's incredible. Now, can you give us a little bit of the history of the Genealogy Center? Because, sure. as, as I said at the beginning, it's very much a thing that unless you are into genealogy exactly. or you live in the Fort Wayne area, you don't even know about this. Um, and it's, it's not really something that you would expect in kind of a smaller tier city. Right. Um, you know, definitely, I mean, you're, you're in, you know, kind of northern Indiana and right. it's, it makes it a unique destination for family history, Absolutely. but it's unexpected. It is, it, it, exactly. Um, no, I, I love telling the story because the story just gets better and better. So I'll, I'll take a quick pause and say, <laughs> this is an amazing tier three city. Uh, Fort Wayne and Allen County, Northeast Indiana is growing at a higher, better rate, both higher and better than many communities during mm -hmm. these challenging times. So you see more investment in downtown retail and hotels in eateries. I mean, downtown Fort Wayne, no, it's not Chicago. It'll never be Chicago. It's not New York. It'll never be New York. But it's an awesome tier three city mm -hmm. with, with what you would expect in the popular food chains, but a lot of wonderful local food chains, local attractions. It's a great city to visit. So, more than half a century ago, there was a, a really eccentric director of the Allen County Public Library who really thought, Jody, that genealogists were a discriminated class of library patrons. You're discriminated. What do you mean discriminated? Well, he thought, and he was right, and there are still pockets of the country where today it's the same thing. Genealogists, people who are looking for their family history, are what we call power users. They come <laughs> to the library, they use lots of materials, they ask lots of questions, and they stay, like, hours, days sometimes. <laughs> And that's really antithetical to what you might call, even though I don't think there is such a thing, what you might call a typical library patron. A typical library patron you know, is looking for some children's books, looking to do a business plan, looking to enjoy a program, check out some Blu-ray, sign up for Hoopla, and then they do that, quote, blessed thing. They thank you and leave. <laughs> Genealogists, they don't leave. You answer their questions successfully. It's like, oh my goodness. I'm going to ask more questions. I'm going to engage more. I'm going to find more information. So librarians in the 20th century weren't really trained to deal with what I call power users. It's like, oh gosh, here come those people again, genealogists. <laughs> and Fred Reynolds was like, no, we're going to have a place where we're going to have librarians who not only know how to spell genealogy, which is a trick for some people, uh, but they actually know how to do genealogy and will help people do it. And oh my gosh, Jody, in the mid-20th century, that was like putting a match on kindling. <laughs> that fire just just took off, and it still is, is in, in a very positive way, raging today, because 
people come here and they have a really great experience. Because yes, in the middle of Northeast Indiana, you wouldn't expect it. In the middle of Northeast Indiana, you have the largest public library genealogy collection in the country. And most all of it is free. The only thing you have to pay for is if you want to make a paper copy. <laughs> you can even scan things on our copies for free. So we're all about helping people be successful finding their stories. And that, at the time, was really like, ooh, a public library doing that? This is kind of cool. Uh, you don't have to go to Washington, D.C., to the National Archive, because pre-computers, we had all our microfilm here. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say all. A huge majority of the most frequently used microfilm we had here. Um, people contribute things because they're so happy with the experience here. Maybe they'll research for 5, 10, 15 years, and they'll donate the product of the research while they're done because of that great experience that they had here. That's incredible. Now, you just made the comment, and I want to clarify something. You said everything is free but the paper copies. So uh, budding genealogists know that you know joining like Ancestry.com and databases like that can be expensive. Yes. So are those accessible from here? Yes, they are. Great, great question. I mean, you don't have to pay an entrance fee. You don't have to have a subscription card. You don't have to license or pay for any of the databases. We do that for our patrons. So you can come here and get the worldwide edition of Ancestry. You can get Find My Past. You can get My Heritage. You can get newspapers.com. You can get Fold3, all the popular databases. Plus, a couple of that will surprise you, like, oh, I never thought there's another newspaper database that has different newspapers that isn't part of the Ancestry family of databases. I might want to try that. Um, I've worked for my family, found a couple articles about my father that kind of filled in his story that he never talked about. Oh, so how exciting. So wonderful collection of, yeah, databases that you don't have to pay for, you don't have to that's really incredible because those I mean those are expensive resources and unless you know exactly what you need um, holding those you know the the user licenses for those adds up so quickly it so so to have that here as a free resource is just absolutely incredible yeah, yeah. and we um, just really enjoy making that available because that can really help people out I know it kind of makes a few people go, hmm, is that really true? But seriously, Ancestry is a great way to get people started. Because mm -hmm. you can just look up a name in Ancestry, and even someone who claims Jody not to know anything about their family, they'll see a couple results on the side, and they'll be like, oh, that name looks familiar. Well, that spelling isn't right, but that date is right. And it just gets people thinking about, hey, I know more than I think I know. And, I want to dig into this deeper oh, and so fun. we can bounce from Ancestry to other databases to our book collection um, all through the knowledgeable staff that we have here. Oh, so exciting. Now TV shows like Who Do You Think You Are and other genealogy shows, I think there's one that's kind of based on the amazing race yep, which yep. I think is funny. <laughs> um, they, make, they make genealogy look very easy, very quick, obviously very exciting because right. they kind of pull those you know, those gotcha stories yes. or yes. those, uh, you know, amazing ancestors. But from experience, I know that it can be really overwhelming, um, somewhat difficult, very difficult at times, mm -hmm. and even kind of disappointing when you're not finding what you think you should. 
So what kind of tips do you have for people who are just getting started, who are thinking, you know, this seems like something I might want to, you know, play with a little bit and, you know, not not jump into with both feet, but maybe dip a toe. Yes, that, that's <laughs> such a great question. I don't want to be too verbose um, in my response, but first of all, with those TV programs, love them, absolutely love them. And I know not everyone feels the same way, and you're right, Jody, it's can be much more difficult. They pick particular stories that look easy and you can't fit all of your research into 47 minutes of mm -hmm. a 60 minute show. Um, so what you see, it's a television show. Why do I like those shows? Because it gets people excited about family history. Even if it's a million times more difficult than what the TV <laughs> show looks like, if it sparks an interest, you and I both know once you kind of get that little bug once you get that interest no matter how difficult it is you know you're not going to let it go you're going to want to continue you're going to want to go to the reunion search the web uh, i mean you don't let that that spark go how does someone who says wow i saw who do you think you are or i watched uh, a pbs uh henry lewis gates jr ancestry program i want to do that um, as one of my colleagues says and i really like this she says and I totally agree. It all starts with a question. Oh, nice. So, what's your question? Oh, wow, gee, Kurt, I didn't think of that. Um, I'd really like to know more about my father's father, my paternal grandfather. And, and that's my story, meaning he was dead before I was born, before my parents were even married. When I found out about his name, I was a little kid, and I thought his name was cool. His name was Valentine. Oh, Valentine nice. Witcher. When I was a teenager, I was like, thank God my parents didn't name me Valentine. <laughs> but when I was a little kid, I thought, wow, that's a cool name, Valentine. So for me, my colleague was right. It, it all started with a question. Like, who is my grandfather on my dad's side? And then I, I just have to get just a tad bit personal. Um, my question and my thirst for that question was enhanced almost immediately because my parents didn't like to talk about their families, neither one of them. So then as a kid, it's like, hmm, <laughs> you don't want to tell me, I want to know even more. So it was like, oh, well, I'm going to find out anyway. So talk to cousins and mm -hmm. talk to aunts and uncles. And a few times we went to family gatherings. And I was kind of excited because it's like, hey, these are the people that I can ask my question about. I was like, who is this Valentine guy? Oh, how fun. Yeah, so it, it all starts with, with a question. That's incredible. So I know that that for me, it was very much a, I, I had a, a more distant relative. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this was kind of the first, the first relative on this side of the family, or the, you know, the furthest back we could trace. And then we hit a wall. Yeah. So what, what kind of advice do you have for, for things like that, where it's easy, 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 Bam, you've hit a wall. Yeah. Um, that's almost the perfect, what you might want to call it, <laughs> the perfect wall scenario. So usually, not, not always of course, but usually easy, easy, easy means that you have been successful in getting enough information to take you back to the next step, to the next step. Um, what's sometimes not intuitive and sometimes discouraging and not intentionally that we tell our patrons 
come back, come closer a few generations, or even just one generation, and what I call look around a little more. So maybe you found a census record and a vital record, and now you've identified the parents and you've already sprung back to, to them, which may be your great grades. And then you kind of roll around a little bit through the databases and the things you find a couple more vital records, maybe a few more census records, and you have the names for the next, your great, great grades. Like, well, let's take a pause. Like, okay, you found some vital records and you found a census record or two, but have you found the church records? Have you looked in the awesome number of free newspaper databases as well as the licensed ones that are here in the genealogy center? Have you looked through town and county history? So instead of doing that sort of laser focus, I'm just going to try to mm -hmm. race my way back to my furthest ancestor. The information, what I call the, the ancillary or the supplemental information you can pick up as you're trying to find all the data for each generation will oftentimes be the, the sledgehammer that will break through that brick wall that you initially had when you were just on this sort of sprint to get back as far as you can go. And you know what I hear from that is actually find the story. Yes, absolutely. Don't, don't yes. just focus on the names and the dates, but actually take the time to find the stories as you're working backwards. Yeah, you are absolutely correct. And that's, that's the perfect advice that you could give to someone is that I just seem to can't get break through this brick wall. Or we hear a few of our patrons say, why do I perennially run into a brick wall? My family has all brick walls. No matter what line I go on, I quickly get to a brick wall. Um, usually, uh, I say this kindly, usually that's a tell for, ah, you're not finding the stories. You're not researching wide enough. One of the neat things, and it's kind of a light bulb moment for some of our, for some of our patrons, um, when you just say, have you just played around a little bit with the ethnic stories? Ethnic stories. Well, well like, your family's French. So what were the French doing in this area? Why did they come here? When did they come here? Oh, what drove them here? Germans. Oh, you're German. Oh. I mean, both my sides of my family, heavily German, mm -hmm. almost many generations back. German Lutherans, German Catholics settled in Dubois County, in Davies County, in Orange County, in southern Indiana. Um, to use bad English, Jody, you can't not know <laughs> what Germans are doing if you really want your family story because um, that's, you know, there are many stories that tell you why they settled here. And then the clusters, okay, this wave of Germans, okay, where'd that wave come from? Oh, they were in Cincinnati first. And a lot of Cincinnati, you know, embraced and welcomed Germans. And where did those Germans come from? Well, a lot of them directly from New York, some of them from Pennsylvania. Where people lived can oftentimes dictate what wave of migration, some ethnicity. I mean, it's the story, as you said, it's the story that can really enlighten your research. And then that's where books like, because I know that in our local library, mm -hmm. you have books about the county and books about the yep. state, and that's where those kind of texts exactly. come into play. So it's really more than just following dates back and gosh you know again you said light bulb moment and that just made me think of those resources that I've probably just walked past so many times not thinking about how those could be helpful. Yeah, Bing. Um, so for beginners are there any guides I mean obviously uh, we're in a library books are a thing 
Yeah. Are there any really great genealogy guides that you could recommend for people who are getting started and and think, okay, well, I want to do this right. I want to follow the right steps. Are there steps that you should follow? Are there some good guides to to maybe get you started and take you through those steps so you don't feel like, oh man, I missed this at the beginning and now I've got to go back and do everything all over again. Right. Right. Um, great question. Because everyone's family is different, it's hard to come up with, okay, do these 17 steps and you'll get the answer <laughs> to your question. Or you'll get back one and a half more more generations. But the, there, there, are, there are some general things. So um, item number one is to think of it as a process um, so I think of it as sort of a cyclical process. So you have your question, right? And so you want to go out and gather data. And I would, again, as we were just speaking, I try to gather as much as possible. Um, my wife says well, I shouldn't equate genealogy to a crime scene, but I love the, <laughs> I love the CSI shows. And what, what do the crime scene investigators do? They go to a crime scene and they scoop up everything. So. We as family historians, we want to gather everything, and then we want to do a step that many people kind of ignore, and that's, okay, we've gathered this up, let's analyze it. Um, what is pertinent, what tells part of our story, what doesn't? So, so you, you, you gather it, you record it, you document where it came from, so you know you can go back to check that source. Did I write this right? Is this copy really out of a deed book, or is it out of something else? And you analyze it, and in, this, in that analyzation process, you get clues for what your next question should be, or maybe more of an answer to the first question that you had. So it's, it's gather, record, <laughs> analyze, and gather again. Um, that's the really, if you kind of embrace that process, that um, there's no magic here, and we're not doing brain surgery. So both those things are wonderful. There's no magic, so it is a process. And if we don't do it perfect, no one's gonna die. You know? <laughs> the world's not gonna end. It's like, oh, okay, it's okay if I go back and, 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 and retrace my steps. So that's my initial advice. And then, oh my gosh, we live in the best of times. There are some really awesome, wonderful YouTube videos, podcasts, that can be very, very instructive. You know, there are different kinds of learners. Some are mm -hmm. tactile learners, visual learners, audio learners. So, you know, find, find your stride. Find what works best for you. There's some amazing YouTube videos. Some for a small fee, many of them free on the, on the open web. So there's not an excuse not to kind of educate yourself in an enjoyable and comfortable way. You'll get all kinds of tips from different types of presentations. So why not take advantage? Yeah. Uh, you have a free moment when you're waiting for, you know, your appointment and the doctor's running an hour and 15 minutes late. <laughs> yeah, get on your work twice and watch a, watch a video. There are, there are some great ones. Some oh, really, terrific, really terrific yeah. tip. But you did say um, documenting and things. And I know that, um, you know, storing that information. How do you recommend doing that? Because I know I have digital files, I have newspaper clippings, mm -hmm. I have, you know, written things from, you know, my grandparents and things like that. So how do you recommend organizing and keeping that? Should all the physical files be scanned and put into a digital format? 
Um, if you do have the, the physical files, how do you keep them nice? You know, do you lock them in a safe? What do you do with all this stuff? <laughs> it's a great question. I'm probably going to give you a lousy answer. <laughs> so my quick uh, short answer is yes. So how do I do all this? Yes. Uh, this really isn't uh, as much of a cop-out as it, as it might sound, Jody, but really it depends on you. What is your preferred way of embracing the documents that evidence your story and help you move forward with finding the next chapter in your story? There are some people that have been playing with using technology for 20, 30 years and are still very uncomfortable with it. Um, if you like doing things in paper, that's okay. I know I'm in the minority there. That, that, that's okay. Just don't make that paper your only copy because fire, flood, mm -hmm. storm, mm -hmm. theft will take your one copy away from you. So whether you're a paper person or a technology person or like most people, you're a wonderful combination of both. That's okay, just remember locks. Lots of copies keeps stuff safe. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm digital, yeah, it's all here. I'm, I'm not surprised, but disheartened, I guess. And I, I don't want to be negative about it. I'm disheartened about the people who don't really take that seriously, um, that you need more than one copy. Mm -hmm. So share it with your relatives. How about instead of worrying about a commercial Christmas gift every end of the year, every holiday season, why not every holiday season send a USB drive that costs what? Get 32 <laughs> gigabytes for eight bucks at Office Depot. Send 15 of them out to all of your family members every year so they are now part of your backup and recovery system. If you have paper copy, have a digital copy. Please don't keep your paper copy and your digital copy side by side in your office because it's really one copy. So <laughs> a fire burns them both. Yeah. A flood, you know. Um, what's one of the most interesting things, Jody, that, that happened when a news reporter sticks a microphone in someone's face uh, when their house has just been burned down by a California fire or a flood in New Orleans? One of the first couple things someone says and I lost all my family photographs, and I lost all mm. my personal stuff. It happens over and over and over again. But yet, I love your question because we just don't take it seriously enough. I'll get around to it. Well, if you don't make an active conscious decision to do it, you're not going to get around to it. Um, sometimes we have to pause on the gathering so that we can make sure we preserve and back up what we have gathered, and then also to analyze what we've gathered. But I, I know that some people who started with a program that they didn't like are really turned off with genealogical data management programs. But there are so many of them. So if you don't like Family Tree Maker, I mean, Family Tree Maker has over 80% of the market. So 80% mm -hmm. of the people doing this are wrong? Eh, I'm thinking maybe not. But there are some great ones. I actually use three just because <laughs> I like playing around with different things. My favorite one is Roots Magic. I just mm. like the way it populates the screen. I like how easy it is. I like to give you a little bit of cloud space storage. It's not really much, but it's kind of nice to have it up there to throw things up there. Um, you can publish a book out of it. You can attach documents and images to every single person in there. So 
genealogical data management programs allow you to have a nice organized way of just keeping things together. With paper files, it's like, well, which family do I file this under? Because mm. it could be part of mine, or it could be part of this collateral line, or this tangent line. Well, with a genealogical data management program, um, you know, that helps you stay organized. Yeah. Roots Magic is my favorite, less than 30 bucks. And I know some people lament, well, you know, they update every year, and you have to buy the update, and it's, it's an ongoing cost. It's like, well, that's technology. Yeah. You, you wouldn't want them not to update it. What if all of our programs ran, ran on Windows 7, you know? Right, <laughs> that right. That wouldn't work on our technology. <laughs> Excellent tip, um, and and keeping two copies at least. You know that obviously one on your hard drive, one in the cloud, where exactly, exactly. Hopefully, yeah. nothing will happen to it for sure. So back to the genealogy center. Sure. Now, you guys have, like you said, um, all your librarians are here to help to to guide you maybe to what you need, help you learn how to use the tools that are available here, but you also have events yes. and you have uh, you can do like one-on-one -on -one meetings with genealogists and things like that can you talk a little bit about some of the services that you provide sure. absolutely I'd be happy to uh, so number one um, what you just said we really want to make ourselves available to people so you can schedule a consultation and you can have a telephone conversation telephone consultation just like 50 years ago if you want a Zoom consultation where you could share screen and show us documents and we could share screen and show you how we're effectively searching a database and what we're finding. So um, we really like to push consultations. Um, we really even pushed it harder um, when uh, we were navigating through the pandemic because it's like, we're still here. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. You can still engage with us. So email, telephone, Zoom, um, and in person. Uh, a lot of our time is spent one-on-one -on -one with individuals. Um, it's really just antithetical to our customer service model to say, oh, you want Ancestry? Well, there's a computer way over there that's available. Here's your login, mm -hmm. you know, just sit down and you know, click on Ancestry and put in your name. Um, that's not really very helpful. But if we can share a screen with you and you can say, oh, here's, here's the Ancestry, here's where you're gonna find it on our website. And then, so, what name are you looking for? Oh, this is a Valentine Witcher. Plug in Valentine Witcher. Show them a couple searches. Show them how the search mm -hmm, results mm -hmm. come back. It sounds trivial, but it means so much to a patron who's like, wow, this is a big place. How am I going to mm -hmm. find what I want? Which database do I need? I mean, just getting a little bit of help sometimes can make your whole experience um, so much better. Um, then, in addition to the one-on-ones, um, we're committed to offering at least four programs a month. Um, for the last 18 months, we've offered two programs a week. Um, they're virtual programs, um, and I like to tell my team here at the library, um, we're not looking forward to going back to normal. We're looking forward to going forward to normal. <laughs> um, we learned so much uh, during the last 18 months of the pandemic, um, and some of them were like, duh moments. like. Why didn't we think of this before? You know, we didn't need pandemic to tell us this. Why didn't we think of this before? One of those things is sharing screens mm -hmm. with customers who here in person. Another one is the reach of virtual programs. So a program held in person, if we got 75 to 100 people, we'd be like over the moon. 
most of our programs average about you know 40 to 50 maybe as high as 75 people and numbers don't mean anything or excuse me don't mean everything mm -hmm. but you know we can offer a virtual program where we can have chat going so people can be answering questions while mm -hmm. the speaker is presenting we've had over 600 people sign up for a one-hour program on colonial research or on researching in the Tennessee State Archives. We're averaging 150 to 200 people per virtual program. The reach of virtual programs it's is incredible. amazing. It is. It's absolutely incredible. And people like you doing mm -hmm. podcasts and you know serving family historians in the virtual space, that's huge. That's huge. We should have paid more attention to it before. And now well, and, you know, and I think that's something that, you know, when we go back clear to the beginning of our conversation about how so many people don't realize this resource is here and the fact that you do have the virtual sessions, right. um, it just really opens up the ability to connect and to learn more. Absolutely. And I just, yeah. I think that's just incredible. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, we, um, one of our favorite sayings here during the last 18 months is we really like lemonade. So life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And we really have tried to make, really tried to make lemonade. And um, it's all trying to really truly go to be of service to individuals. There are tens of millions of them worldwide. Be of service to individuals who want to find their story. Uh, there is so much power, no matter how you define power, there's so much power in story. The power of story yeah. is just awesome. That is incredible. So finally, what should people know before they plan a visit to the Genealogy Center here in the Allen County Public Library? What should they plan for? Um, if they're obviously traveling in a few hours, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how long should they plan to stay? What do they need to do before they come? Any kind of, you know, coming to visit tips you can leave us with? Absolutely. So um, one thing that I always encourage people, whether it's our library or some other library, visit virtually before you visit in person. You'll just feel so much more prepared. So visit genealogycenter.org, play in our catalog, um, just look around virtually. What's on the website? What can they tell me virtually about the space, about the services, about what I'm going to do um, before I get there? Um, it's, it just makes such a big difference. Point number two, sort of rolling around to the beginning of our conversation, um, how does research start? How does your family story, family history start? With a question. So come here with a couple of questions, meaning I really would like to find something on this particular person, or I'd really like to work on this brick wall. I'm going to, because I looked in their catalog, I know they have a lot of uh, Iowa material, so I'm gonna look in these Iowa counties. And here are some five, six, seven books I've looked at and seen in their catalog that I really wanna look at. Secondly, Here's my brick wall, maybe my Irish mm -hmm. brick wall. I'm going to set up a consultation. You can do that ahead of time, or you can ask for one when you arrive. I'm gonna to talk to someone, see if they can give me some Irish tips. So there's thing number two. Maybe have two or three 
specific things that you want to do when you're here. Um, if you're not having success with one, well then you have one or two others that you can that you can fall back on. But visit virtually before you visit physically. Um, then have that question a couple of times, have two or three things that you really want to do and have, mm -hmm. have a plan. It doesn't have to be like a really rigid <laughs> plan, but, but have a plan. You know, I'm going to look at these books because I've looked at their catalog. I'm going to consult with this person. I'm going to look at this other thing over here. Um, and then um, be prepared to enjoy yourself because it's, it really is a very uh, clean and comfortable space here in the Genealogy Center. And I know this is, this is local pride, Jody, but it's, it's really a neat community. You will feel safe here uh, if and when you decide you need a culinary break because you're getting lightheaded or you're getting a headache. <laughs> so I haven't eaten in seven hours. <laughs> um, there's a lot of neat places in downtown to explore. So be prepared to have a good time. Excellent. Well, Kurt, I want to thank you so much for taking the time, for giving us all these great tips. Absolutely. And, and for sharing all about the Genealogy Center. It really is an amazing space. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and thank you so much for listening. If you would like more Midwest inspiration, please join me in the Exploring the Midwest group on Facebook. And don't forget to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app or take a screenshot and tag me in your Instagram stories at Jody Halstead.